Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Keith Brooks, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, sir. It's great to be here. Oh, it's good to, have, good to have you here. This is, this is going to be an interesting conversation, I think, that you and I have discussed uh, what you're doing offline. And, and I thought, well, this would be a great conversation for the podcast. Let's let's get you on the podcast and have a conversation. So I'm looking yeah, forward to this. Awesome. All right. Let me looking introduce you it. For, for those who may not know who you are. Keith Brooks has a degree in interior architecture with an emphasis in furniture and product design. His career bro path brought him very quickly to custom woodworking for residential and commercial production houses. And after 15 years of woodworking and reaching senior lead craftsman status, he started developing production drawings in 2011 in a top-tier residential cabinet shop. In early 2019, after seven years of learning production-level drafting and assembly drawings, he started K. Brooks Design Studio. And in 2001, after growing his studio to a level that required growing his team, he went looking for help, but found that process pretty frustrating. So in response to that problem, he built a solution and founded Sloped a professional web marketplace where design businesses that use SketchUp and Layout can find and connect with advanced users of SketchUp, SketchUp and Layout who provide design and drafting services. So that's Sloped at Sloped.io. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, Keith, before we talk about Sloped, I want to know more about you. I want to learn 
what inspired you to focus on interior architecture, furniture design, product design? Where did that start? Um, and maybe who or what inspired you and share your story from that point to where you are today. I love this question. Um, my inspiration, I have to say, was my grandfather. I come from a family of um, teachers and woodworkers, carpenters. And my grandfather built furniture, built houses, and my father did a little bit of that. We built our own homes and remodeled houses, and it was kind of in me as a craftsman from early age. Um, I think that morphed into an architecture idea at some point in time. And I wanted to go to school. So I went to, I was, I went to Kansas state university for architecture and, um, just furniture and woodworking was in me and they had a degree emphasis in interior architecture around that. And they had a shop. So I got to design and build my own stuff. And I think in my third year, one of my professors asked me to design a chair and I was looking for inspiration for the chair, and I found a, a woodworker that was pretty well known nationally. His name's Sam Maloof. And through a weird conversation with my father, I found out that my grandfather had taught Sam Maloof. Oh, wow. That's in funny. junior high shop. That's great. And high school shop. So there was kind of this family thing that started to really get inside of me. And, uh, it was funny about two years later, I wrote Sam a letter and told him I'm the grandson of Otis Brooks and this and that. And he wrote me back. He was very kind. And he said, <laughs> in the, in the comments, he said, yeah, your grandfather, yeah, he taught me, but he always thought my stuff was weird. <laughs> and this was, this is a very profound woodworker in American, you know, uh, furniture design and building and it was kind of a fun little thing to have in the background. I came out of school in 1993 when computers were just starting to get in the offices yep. and I had focused on strictly design in school. I didn't, the computer was there, but I just didn't want to do it. And so I got out of school and no one would hire me. So I kind of had to drop back into construction mode and go frame houses and, and very quickly because of the degree I was advancing and I got into uh, supervisory roles, building 10,000 square foot homes as a 23 year old. And that furniture background was sticking there behind me all the time. And I got into a conversation with a guy, one of our subs, and he pulled me away from a job in building big homes, doing custom staircases. And that started the woodworking career. We were doing giant curves up in the mountains in Colorado. And eventually I was in a wood shop. Then I started my own wood shop in 1998. What inspired, uh, what inspired starting your own firm? Um, the craziness of youth, maybe <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was not a businessman at all, but I, I just, I took risks. I guess I've always taken risks and um, knowing where our conversation might be headed down the road. I think that's one of the things that's key for entrepreneurs is you have to be willing to take an idea and jump on it and try it. Yeah. And that takes a lot of risk. And at that time I could take the risk. I was in a good position, not necessarily, not necessarily financially, but I could take the risk, uh, in my psychological makeup. I, I right. didn't care if I was going to be broke. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I just wanted to try. I, I wanted to work on wood. I wanted to have my own shop. I wanted to make stuff. And I, I was sufficiently at that time frustrated with employment that I was willing to take the risk. So I yeah. did it. Have you ever read the book, uh, The E-Myth Re- Revisited by Michael Gerber? I have not. He talks about that moment and he describes it as the entrepreneurial seizure. <laughs> when, when you're <laughs> working as you're you're working as a as a technician, so basically working as an employee doing the work and then you get to a point where you're you're frustrated and you just feel that you can do it better than they can and so you jump in and start a business. Yeah. Um, and and that's that moment he, he describes. And that. then you figure out you're Maybe you weren't as smart as you thought you were. <laughs> it's exactly what the book is about. It's a great, it's a great <laughs> book. I've read it multiple times. Have given dozens of copies away. I highly oh, recommend wow. the uh, the E Myth Revisited. Um, I want, I want before we, we before we move on uh, more in your story. I want to just go back real quick to your decision to go into architecture rather than in construction. Um, your grandfather was in construction. Your dad was in construction. Do you know what inspired you to want to pursue the design side of it? Because I, I also architect my family. My father's an auto mechanic, but my family is is tradesmen and, and carpenters. Oh, and wow. when I told them that I wanted to be an architect, they thought I was nuts. <laughs> right. So when you're when your family is out there building, they have this conflict with architects often. And so yes, they, they're like, Why true. do you want to become an architect? Why don't you go build? And so I was wondering what your your story was. What what sort of pushed you towards the design side? I wish I was I had a better better memory because I can't sometimes figure out how I made that decision. My my parents said it was all me. And I don't necessarily remember that, but uh, I think I was in the habit of um drawing buildings. Yeah. Not, not so much buildings, but like um compounds underground things and i had this little thing that i did i don't know what occurred to me to go into architecture i might have had a friend that had talked about it and it kind of sparked me a little bit but honestly in hindsight if i look back on it i'm and i am where i am today i might not have chosen architecture yeah um i think especially in today's economy i mean I think there's tons of ways to learn the things that I learned. The only thing that I can say that I, I got out of college is I learned how to read plans. I knew how to do that very well. And I learned public speaking. Yes. Which is helpful. Which is very helpful. Yeah. In fact, sometimes I think that's the one thing that I got out of my degree that has been the most, that has done the most good for me is yeah. going through those crits every single week with a project and having to face the public shame of doing something that <laughs> nobody likes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, and then certainly... you have to defend it. You have to stand there and take it and then defend your idea. And that's something for a 20, for me, especially, I was very shy, um, not a public speaker at all. So I think that's really the thing that did it. Uh, I don't know if that fully answers yeah, the question. I, I don't, I think I find, I, honestly, I feel like I tripped into architecture. I, I didn't really, I don't feel like I mentally planned that one so yeah, much. Yeah. But it, you, you also said earlier in telling your story that, that the degree helped you advance yes. into, in, into administrative roles. 
very uh, faster very than you would have otherwise. And so that also is a, you know, a benefit to the, to the degree, um, yeah. because it helped you, you know, your story would be a very different story without that, right? If you just jumped right into construction, correct, um, you may have, you know, may have been in a different place. Maybe not, you know, but m- maybe. I wouldn't um, have ended up in Colorado because I had a, my furniture design professor was very keen on the thing, my skills. And he, he pulled me aside after graduation. We happened to be in the school at the same time, like a, two days after graduating. And he sat me down and said, I think you should go this direction and head here. Yeah. And I was already into mountain biking at the time. So Colorado was on my mind. And he said, you need to go to Colorado and work up in the mountains where all the, the money is. And you'll find people that can advance your skills. I was like, oh, sounds good. Yeah. So that's why I love the origin story conversation in my podcast because I love yeah. learning the the history and of of where people came from, yeah. and sort of connecting the dots. And also, you know, I, it's great to listen to that story, but I love having people think back and connect the dots yeah. and sort of start figuring out on their own live on the podcast sort of how they got to where they are. Um, yeah, it's it's always a really interesting conversation for me. So, so you've, you've gone to the point where you started K Brooks design studio, launched your own firm. Um, what, what happened from that point? Well, K Brooks design studio didn't start till 2018. Okay. So you, so you started your own, your I own started company. my own shop that only lasted four years. Got it. Okay. We'll go back to that and let's continue that okay. story. Let's talk about yeah, how that I was, happened. I was just building run of the mill residential cabinets, you know, I wanted to be a furniture maker, but that never happened because <laughs> you, to pay the bills, you got to build cabinets. And yeah. I tried some, I designed a few and got them into shows, but the real, I just wasn't a businessman enough to figure out how to stay on task. And then I had to make a move. I moved from Colorado to Florida. And at that time, I just needed a break from running a business because I was working long hours to make it happen. And I just was burnt out. So I worked for a museum, um, uh, kind of, I wouldn't call it cabinets. It was more like display, display items for museums. They worked with Disney a lot and Mm -hmm. did really amazing. Uh, just, um, I want to call it contract furniture, which I think they called it, but just a lot of display work. Yeah. And I really feel like that moment took me from kind of a guy working out of his garage to a more professional level of woodworking. And uh, that job lasted two years. And then I moved to Atlanta. And there I finally I met a, a really high end cabinet shop. And they probably want at that time, the premier cabinet shop in the southeast of America. Um, and in about two years, three years, I was the senior lead craftsman and running the shop floor basically and um, built some amazing product for them. Just really had a lot of fun. But eventually a cabinet is a cabinet is a cabinet is a cabinet and you get bored as a woodworker. You want to get challenged and they were moving me away into management, less doing the fun yeah. And these gigantic islands and range hoods and, you know, standalone furniture. And I was getting bored. So they offered me the opportunity to go into the design office because of my degree. So 
I jumped at that because, you know, I finally get to use my degree for something. And yeah, so I had to learn AutoCAD. And at that time they had a product called cabinet vision, which was a production software. And my, my journey into production level drawing, drafting and software packages and those kinds of things started to start to increase. And I wouldn't say that I was the best at that time at, at drawing and well, drawing, probably I was pretty good at, it was the engineering side and the thousands and thousands of details that we had to create to produce these cabinet jobs. Cause literally you're talking, some of these houses were 10 and 15,000 square feet and you've got 25 rooms and millions of parts that we're managing in a 5,000 square foot shop. And it was, yeah. it was a lot of work and my brain wasn't ready for that. So yeah. my journey through it was real rocky in the beginning. And, um, as it happened, I switched companies to a neighbor of theirs and led their design team. Cause it was a simpler product for three years. And then switched back to the other company and I was kind of there in that little town and we were working for both of them. And, and there was uh, at that time, my personal life was really crazy and uh, I was going through something that was not uh, easy at all. And the main company that I started with, they had some leadership issues. And if I could say this in the, for the sake of the podcast, cause this is one of the threads in the story that leads me to sloped um, is I was around a lot of companies and leaders of companies and watching these leaders trip and fall and, and flub things and have successes. And I was watching their leadership style and how they did things and it was impacting me. And, you know, you talk about being an employee and jumping out to start something on your own. One of the things for me was, the, especially with the one company, the leadership structure was a mess. It was creating a lot of stress. And in my personal life, I, was have, I had some leadership issues there as well. And it was a lot of stress. And I was, I was getting tired. In 2018, both arenas, the personal and the business, they both just came to a head. And I I had to change my personal life to get away from a, a leadership issue. And I had to change my uh, business life with this company to get away from that leadership issue. So I went to a new company uh, in North Georgia up in the mountains. And there was a leader there who had a, who finally, I was seeing something that I finally realized was necessary for business and after about nine months working there, the unfortunate reality is, is I got a call from my, from my parents, my dad had cancer. Hmm. So I had, and it was stage four, two months to live. And I hadn't been around him for a while. So I picked everything up. I quit that company. I'd only been with them for eight months and I moved to Ohio and I got here and all the leadership issues are percolating. And I just decided I'm done. I can't work for anybody anymore. Yep. I don't want to navigate the leadership issues anymore. I want to just do something for myself again. So I had all this experience. I had two months with my dad. I didn't work. 
And after he passed after two months, and it was literally two months to the day that they told him he was going to pass. And that was January of 2019. And I just like, you know what, I'm going to start a business and it's going to be a design drawings. I've got massive experience in cabinets and millwork and commercial and residential. I'm just going to see if I can get work. So I jumped on Upwork. And uh, at that time, Upwork was already a big deal. You know, a year later, it would become even bigger deal when COVID hit. Yeah. And um, so the first year, I I think I made fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> it was it was dry and rough, and there was a lot of things that I had to build from scratch. I'd been in AutoCAD for a long time, and had just I think in twenty sixteen started playing around with SketchUp and layout. And, um, well, SketchUp in particular, because it was all AutoCAD, and I was just trying to bring in SketchUp right. models yep. to explain some of the millwork I was drawing up. And so I think at that point, I just decided I'm done with AutoCAD. I didn't get to be done because I needed work. And one of my friends, actually the cabinet shop that I quit, got the, uh, the ownership changed. And so he was feeding me work in AutoCAD. So I had to stay with AutoCAD, but... As for my studio, I was pushing it towards full SketchUp and layout. And so I think uh, I spent that first year building templates and getting my system figured out. I did a lot of reading of Nick Saunders' book and yep. and um, working on a Notion, which is my project management software. I've built the whole system for how to take care of everything in that system and so it was just making minimal money. My family was very supportive of me. I, they, I wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for them. They helped me through financially. And, and then the virus hit. And all of a sudden, I was just inundated yeah. with work. And 2019, uh, 2020, I was just buried. And, it and got, so you were, doing, you were doing consultant work? I was doing freelancing. I was so, finding people on Upwork. And by 2020, I was actually getting people. It was funny. People would go to Upwork and look and they'd find me. And then they'd go find my website and they'd approach me. So they didn't have to work with me through Upwork. So I yeah. got three or four shops and all of them are cabinet shops doing high-end residential or commercial work. And they needed somebody to do drawings for them. And because of my background as a woodworker, it's easy to jump right in and talk to them. Right. Because I know the language and I know what how things are built and I can see yeah. it in my head. So I had three or four shops who were feeding me work all, all 2019, all 2012, well, all 2020, and then into the beginnings of 2021. And yeah, I guess I did work, do a lot of drawings in 2021 all the way through the year. About February of 2021, it was so bad in that I had so much work that I had to find freelancers for myself. And <laughs> I didn't know where to find anybody. And I tried SketchUp forums and I found a, a guy who was a retired builder and and he did a he did a decent job for me. I found a guy through the forums from Malaysia. And he did a decent job for him, but they weren't cabinet makers like me. So they didn't, it was a little harder for me to pass on my knowledge. Yeah. So I was sitting there one day and I'm like, where, where do you go? How do you find people? 
And that led to some frustrations. I, I can't find any people. Where do I go to find people? And it was ongoing for about a month. And I finally, I was talking to a, a man I know in Vancouver, met him through the forums as well. He, Tucker Webb, and um, he's all over the forums, posts a lot of things. And I got on the phone with him and I was asking him about this issue. And he says, well, that sounds like a good idea. Why don't you make that community? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> he said, not only should you make that com- community, if you don't, I'm going to do it. And I was like, oh, oh okay. And then we got off the phone and I think the next morning I woke up and I was like, I was scared. Like, whoa, he's going he's gonna to do it if I don't do it. Well, I guess I should do it. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, you talk about that moment of seizure, like you're going to, yeah. This was a bigger deal for me than just starting my own company. This was like legit engagement with a with a worldwide community of people. That wasn't lost on me. That's not something you tackle lightly. Right. But I decided I was in a time of my life where I could do it. You know, so I tried. I I I did the weird thing again. I put my head down and I just took the step and took the risk and And now here we are a year later, and Sloped has become something. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out our financials on our own is not one of those things. Luckily, we have FreshBooks the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices, to managing online payments, to organizing expenses, and automates them with features like the digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. It's also super easy to get up and running, and the award-winning FreshBooks support team They are always available to answer any questions along the way. Compare that to some of the other financial management tools out there. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered, and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, aka CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by Artcat. 
Listen and subscribe right now at rcat.com slash podcast. That's rcat.com slash podcast, A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. How, how did it start when you had that that conversation and you decided, okay, I'm going to do this? How, how did you start it? I went on the forums, the SketchUp forums, and I posted. I don't remember what I posted. Something like I, I'm looking to build a community for SketchUp, for businesses to find SketchUp people. Is anybody interested? I think I got 10 different emails from people and enough so that I thought, well, I could have a first meeting and let's try something on Zoom and see who shows up and see what happens. And I think we had eight people in that meeting. Um, Dave Richards, who, if you're used to the SketchUp forums, Dave is basically the guy who responds to everybody's query. He's one of the first ones. Uh, He was there and then uh, a number of other people. One of my partners, Joanne, was there and... The other partner, Kendall, was there too. And then we had three or four others. And we talked about it and everybody's excited. And I will say that this idea, we haven't had a single negative comment about it in a year. Yeah. So it's definitely something that needs to happen. But I think we had the first meeting and then we had a second meeting. And okay, now what do we do? And it was, uh, it was, uh, it was really interesting to to walk through because it's not like woodworking for me where I know what I got to do. I got to get somebody to give me a piece of this or that to build, or it's not like drawings. Oh, I need someone to give me a job that, that I can draw. This was a, is very nebulous. What is a community? What is a, what is this new thing? How do we make it happen? And I think one of the first things that we discussed is, it has to be, if this is a niche market and a business, and it's really got to be focused on the business and all the founders that were sitting in that, well, all the people in those first two meetings are all business owners. They're all architects, designers, um, engineers. We had a guy that does pre-construction modeling for massive houses in LA. Um, one guy works for the, the U.S. government, Boeing doing massive airplane engineering. It was a wild mix of people with, you know, all kinds of spectrums of experience. And I think it became very, very apparent very early that these business, the business people, your audience uh, is one, one field in the SketchUp universe, as we've discovered. Um, they have very particular needs. And so what is that need? Is it, is it a SketchUp person who knows the particular office's system? You know, is, are they a Nick Sonder cheerleader? Are they Mike Brightman cheerleader? Are they Scala? No, I don't, I don't, I think we discovered that's not it. I think it's, what we've found out is the business really needs someone who understands the software very well and can take a model and make it 
a, two, a set of 2D drawings. And that we had to vet. Otherwise, a business isn't going to want to work with somebody. They don't want to go to Upwork and spend two months trying to figure out if this person is good enough to do their jobs. They want to say, oh, you've got five people here that I can pick from, and they're all vetted and certified. They know the software. They can jump right in. Oh, man, it's perfect. And that's kind of been the, the structure of what we've built. Yeah. So, so it, it is focused on experts. Experts. Yeah. Experts who, who are experts in SketchUp and experts in layout, which is the layout, the way that you take the SketchUp model and, and develop construction drawings and, and production drawings. Correct. Which is a separate software that's built by the same company. Correct. Yeah. And that's been, it's been a fascinating learning, learning journey for us. Uh, for me in particular, I found out how much I don't know about SketchUp and layout. There is so, there's so much capacity in that software um, that I don't think people fully understand. And I've seen some drawing sets from architects using those two platforms that are absolutely astounding. The, the level of detail that you can get into in SketchUp on a modeling side, I've always seen it because as a builder of furniture with the details that we had, I can go down to the, you know, I can model complex joints. And it was great to be able to model a piece of furniture exactly like I'm going to build it. Yeah. Cause I could pre-build it basically. And there's no, if I make a mistake, that's not glue and nails and screws and, you know, cra cracking open carcasses of furniture. It's just changed the model. And so I think what we're trying to accomplish is a, it's different than a, it's kind of like a staffing agency in some ways, but it's different because we're really trying to service the professional office. You, you don't go to a staffing agency necessarily for architects, you know, you don't, right. <laughs> those are specialized people. And they have resumes. You go to LinkedIn maybe to find people like that. But I think even with SketchUp and Layout, because it doesn't necessarily have the professional respect yet that it sh that I think it should have, that I'd like to cheerlead for. Yeah. Um, I think it's still very much in its infancy trying to gain that professional respect. Um, I think that's what we're trying to do is show that there are a, there's a whole community of professional users of the software that can be an asset to the business. And I think we're on the verge of accomplishing that fact. Um, you know, we're still early in the launch phase, but right. I think we're close. Yeah. We're, we're still early in, in the story of sloped. It, yeah. It, it, it is interesting to hear how you launched, um, how you you realize that there was a problem, um, and someone validated that problem for you and yeah. said, "That's a problem that needs to be solved. And if you don't solve it, I'm going to solve it." And so your first move was, "Let's just see how many other people have that problem, and let's yeah. have a meeting. Let's have a discussion about it." Yeah. Um, without knowing what it's going to become or where it's going to go, there's no business plan. It's just there's a problem. Let's find a solution and let's get together and figure out how that yeah. solution becomes a business. Um, yeah. and that, that original group of people then brainstorm and have this conversation, acknowledge that there's this problem and let's solve it. Um, and, and you, so you, so from that you 
you uh, develop and launch Sloped. You mentioned earlier in your story that you have two partners, Kendall and Joanne. Um, how did that happen? Why Why did you move forward with partners? Um, that's a great question. I think it. There's no way I could have done it on my own. It's too big an idea. I think, especially since we went uh, as soon as I did, we discovered the testing process and we written the tests and have tests available. That's where I knew I was, there was no way on my own I could build this. And I think because of the way it started with that initial group of people, Joanne and Kendall were the only people that really stayed on and what do you say, grabbed the energy of the idea and yeah. wanted to help build it and push it along. I think um, not to disparage anybody else that was involved in those initial meetings because they all helped push it. Right. But I think everybody's got their schedules and they're doing things and they realized that they didn't have the bandwidth at the time. So I wasn't opposed to having help and having, you know, sharing the load and even the founding of it. It uh, Ultimately for me, what mattered most, which is kind of a longer story, probably bigger than this podcast is um, building community matters to me. And I think we have more to do, uh, not more to do. We have, we have a lot of opportunities to help each other. And the technology now is making that so much easier to do. Yeah. There's things that we're considering with slope that I think are, I wouldn't say revolutionary sounds nuts, but maybe going down that road. I think, I think COVID showed that work remote working and freelancing is a viable resource for businesses. Yeah. It is. And the yeah. technology is there to do it now. The world has shifted. That has. is, that is a, that is a legitimate and very often likely uh, model to start and run businesses. It's it is to, is to build remote businesses with remote staff. Yep. Um, and that be, that is the model, right? It's not a startup, you know, no, uh, solution. It is, it is a model of business now. Yes, it is. Um, and because it tech, it all happened sort of as a, as a perfect storm, right? That, yeah. that, that the technology f became mature enough for this to happen at the same time that this massive amount of work and, and, and demand happened through the, throughout the pandemic. Uh, and and the requirement for us to work remotely, uh, which which escalated and and um, uh, accelerated the process of moving to remote studios as a norm, uh, is a huge. You know that we'll look back in history and look at this pandemic and oh, say, oh, absolutely, the world obviously changed in so many ways, but the way business is run uh, has yep. shifted, and it shifted during the last two or three years. Two or three years. And and what a what a what an amazing thing to even be a part of that. Yes, I mean, really, the computer has matured far enough that it could unalterably change how work gets done. Yeah, for sure. In the tech sector, and I, I consider architecture now a tech sector in some ways. It it can't function without tech. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's yeah. people doing hand drawing still. I've talked to a few architects. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> They're out rejecting there. it all together. I'm married to one. <laughs> oh, wow. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's I, still there, but I think the large majority of people, it, you know, software is the, is the way that, that we do business now. And because technology is what it is, we can, we can offer that as a service. And that's so what we, we wanted. 
Ex explain to me how sloped works now. So if somebody's listening and says, yes, I'm in, I want to, I want to get involved in this. I want to work with experts who are experts in, in SketchUp and layout. How does the, how does the model work now? Okay. Well, uh, very briefly, cause it can be comp complicated still. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's still early and evolving. It's still very early. Yeah. That's, that's one thing right now we're, 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 we're building it based on a minimum viable product, viable product, something that can prove the case because we think that investment dollars is going to be the way to go to take, because the platform needs to get better right now. The platform is functional, but not yep. ideal. That's and exactly why, not why I wanted you on now. Cause I want to ha have that conversation. Yeah. And then as it grows and evolves and develops, I want to have you back and talk about it again, about how it, how it grew how it grew. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, um, best method is to go to the website. And if you're a business, um, we're, we're, we're looking at membership and then there's testing and then there's projects. So membership is a lifetime for us. You pay one fee and that's kind of like an onboarding thing. We get, we build a portal together we do an interview. We want to know who you are and what you need, what your SketchUp and layout needs are, what your professional uh, needs are, like who do you want to work with, uh, languages, all those kinds of things. Right. And then, and, and, it, and the model is a marketplace, right? You have two sides. Two sides. Right. So, so people who are coming to Sloped are either the expert side that wants to serve the design profession. Correct. Um, or the design profession looking for help. They're both Correct. there and, you, and you're developing a platform that would serve this marketplace. So these two people who are, or these two entities that are looking for, to get together, can get together. And Slope right. becomes that way of making that connection. Correct. It's very much like all the others, uh, Fiverr, Freelancer, Upwork, uh, Dribble, TopTal. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a, and marketplace is the word we use in our mission statement. Um, it's just a place where the two can meet. Yeah. So for the business lifetime membership, you sign up, you get a lifetime membership right now. Uh, that's free. Um, we had it for the first five people and then we're going to do a rebated version until we've got some traction and some steam behind it. Um, and then on the freelancer side, they have to get tested and get certified that they meet a bare minimum skill level that sloped has done a lot of research to establish. And, um, and then once they get certified, then they become a member. And then it's all about, uh, the business having projects and they have a portal and they post a project and we give the link to three freelancers or we call them independent professionals, IPs for short. Yep. We give the we give a link to that portal to three vetted and you know selected individuals that we think are going to meet the needs of that particular business. So you're doing some some matching as well. Yes, we're doing so you're, matching. You're saying these three experts can serve yeah. this client well, and Correct. then you present send them to that portal, and now this this yeah, they see business. the project. Yep. They get to, and depending on the business, because what we're finding is that the business, there's a lot of different ways businesses approach doing projects. And some just want to say, this is our hourly and we're going to pay you the hourly. Some are saying, 
no, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want a proposal. Um, that's how I operate in my business. You send me a proposal and I tell you if I can do it. And so we're, we're giving them the, giving the business the freedom to approach that however they want to. They need a description, how yep. much it costs. And then the, the IP takes a look, they give a proposal, the two get to converse. The business picks one of those people to do business with. They create a, a project, they create a, create an agreement around the project. And then the business, once the agreement's made, they fund that project in, through a sloped escrow account. So now the freelancer has the guarantee that the money's there, which yeah. is one of the big things on this, um, you know, guaranteeing finances for the freelancer is a big deal. Um, all the websites that have freelance um, capacity, they all have escrow accounts to protect the money. Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's not a big deal. Um, but that is, uh, that's what you do. You fund it, do the project. Once the business says the work is complete, then we pay the, the freelancer and that you can do project-based lump sums, or you can do, um, milestone projects. If it's large, if it's going to be a year long project, break it down into milestones month by month, whatever you want to do. Uh, but there's always got to be a funding into the escrow account for the project. So, uh, that's the simple yep. description of how it works. Um, where we have three tests currently, one for architecture, one for interior architecture, and one for cabinet design. And I think I'm going to add another one for commercial millwork, which is a lot more, it's a different. And then we have uh, a man named Daniel Tall, which I think if you're in SketchUp and you've been there for a little while, you know who Daniel Tall is. He's a, he's produced a lot of, um, plugins and he's kind of a thought leader in the community. He's going to create a test for us uh, around landscape architecture. And then we have a man that SketchUp has interviewed a couple times now named uh, Luke Whitelock. He's out of the UK and he does uh, set design for Hollywood studios in UK. And he's going to create us a test for that. So uh, we're going to have six tests soon. And we're contemplating expanding the architecture because um, yeah, different architecture, types of architecture is yeah. it's a lot more complex we're finding. And we want to make sure someone can really test their knowledge in SketchUp and then also get tested in layout fully. Because all the people that have taken the architecture test so far, they barely scratched the surface of SketchUp and barely scratched the surface in layout. And we're we want to see people really be able to stretch their, their knowledge base in those softwares yeah. uh, separately. And I think another big one, I think that we're finding for architects in particular is the drafting knowledge, uh, field knowledge. And that's one of the things that I hadn't talked about yet with slope that we're, we have the certification, but we're going to, we're going to, we want to create badges. And so when you, when an IP takes a test, they get the certification and they get a badge for the test they took, but we're going to have, they can take any of the other tests they want and they'll get a badge for each one. We're going to have drafting tests, um, different skill and field knowledge type tests to, so that if you're an interior designer, it's one thing that you can use SketchUp and layout We're you know, great, but we want to come in and make sure they have a certain level of field expertise in this area can we give them a test yeah okay so we're willing to do that 
we're willing to work with businesses. If you need to, if you have an onboarding system and you're hiring people consistently and you want them to come into your business and you know that they've been certified, send them to uh, help us make a test for you and we'll be your certification. Right. Right. And And we've got a business in, in the UK that wants to do that. That sounds like what differentiates sloped most from, you know, Fiverr and, and Upwork is that, that it is specifically for SketchUp and layout, but also you are only dealing with the experts that the, the, the top experts in, in the field of developing uh, SketchUp and, and layout. Correct. So, you know, when you're coming to Sloped, you're going to get an expert. So yes. you can get to work really quickly and really, have that confidence. Really quick, exactly. Yeah, yeah. super interesting. And and, and um, it's fascinating to hear how developed it can become. What does, you know, as you look into the future, let's say five years from now, where do you want to be with Sloped in five years? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, well, obviously numbers, you'd love to see see some numbers. Um, I think most important to me more than numbers in some ways is that sloped is recognized as a place to go in the worldwide community for experts in SketchUp and layout and not employees, but legit freelancing independent professionals who bring to the table immediate results. Not, not a long-term, you know, okay, we're giving you 90 days. We're going to check it out, but they can legit jump into your project today, navigate a few things with you on how you do your workflow and how your templates are set up and your scenes and styles walk through it real quick in a couple of hours, but they can jump right in and start working with you and produce for you right away. If sloped in five years is the place to go for that in the SketchUp and, and layout professional community, that would be amazing. I would love that. And it, if it's just a small community, I'm fine with that, but I want it to be rec- I would love for it to be recognized as the place to go for that. Yeah. And the freelancing community and the business community both recognize that, that that's the case. Yeah. Cause I, you know what? I see a lot on the forums, people will post jobs. Where do I go to find someone to do this for me? And well, good luck. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I want that. I want the answer to be, oh, go to go to slope. Yeah. They'll, right. They'll get you. That's the default answer. Just go. That's slope. the default answer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I also noticed, and you had mentioned earlier, that community is important to you because you could build this without sort of building it as a community. It could be purely transaction. Right. Come here. Yes, post purely. your job. You know, find a job. Done. Get paid, and and you're off. But you continue throughout this conversation. You talked about a community as being the yep. primary structure of what you're building here. Um, how, before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, how do you look at sloped as a community? What are you doing to cultivate that community and to build that as a strong, uh, community? Because I mean, community is more than just a bunch of people getting together on forum, right? There's a community has a culture and are you doing things specifically to encourage that culture to grow in a positive way? Man, that's a great question. I think we're, we're starting to talk about that. Um, uh, going from building all the systems behind the scenes, um, you know, that's all private behind the scenes stuff. You're not talking to anybody. 
but now that we got those things in place, the, the website's basically done and the notion project management network management thing is done basically. So now we're talking about marketing. Yep. Uh, uh, SketchUp just posted on Instagram and LinkedIn, you know, some things for us. So now we're into how do you build the community? And my goodness, that's a whole nother topic. It is. And so I think, I think we're talking about, uh, we want to get involved in more content creation, um, start to put out all the things we've learned in terms of maybe thought leadership, trying to, I don't know, educate businesses on the value of the freelance community and how it works and how it is an actual benefit to their bottom line uh, during the course of a year. Uh, that conversation has yet to start. I think we're just now starting to scratch the surface of it. I think another thing that we're talking about, which I really, I'm quite excited. We were talking to Mark Gregory, um, who runs Scala. I know you've talked yep. to him on your podcast. He's been on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said something that was really, that's kind of striking that he's finding that there are architects who take his class pass and they're connecting with other architects who take his class and they're instead of they're kind of joining together to do projects. And we had thrown around the idea of teams in sloped. And I'm, I'm thinking that there, if your business, there's a, there's some potential here for a community to really do some amazing things together. Yes. So if you don't like a, a business that, that knows SketchUp, knows SketchUp and layout, they know how to make naturally in the old way, you're just trying to build houses, but you know what? Two architects who have two different places in the country, and I'm speaking the US, obviously the market's bigger than that, but you could potentially have two architects work on work together on a project in a different part of the country. Right if it got bigger than that and you, your, your community is growing, you could have 10 architects who are slow, who agree because they all have their different expertises. They could get together. They're all working within SketchUp and layout and they tackle a big, big project together. And I don't know how we're going to get there, but I, I would yeah. love to see that. And that's yeah. where the community aspect of it comes in. It's not just talk. It, it becomes, Let's pool our resources and do something amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's that I, I would venture to say that as you build the community, the community part of it will become the most powerful part of your whole platform. That mm -hmm. that that the matching part will be critical and it'll be part of you know, it'll be the essence of what you've built, right? That'll be the the utility of what you've built at Sloped to match these these two parties. But the community is what will grow it. The community is what will yes. will help you evolve it and 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 show you and tell you we need this and we don't need that. Yes. Um, and, yes. And and those connections that will be made and what can happen from those connections, like you were just talking about, the the, the when you bring all these people together, these new ideas and these new businesses and these new partnerships uh, blossom from that community. I love that. It is, it is so powerful. It's exactly what's happening at Entree Architect. It is. It yeah, was, I know you've talked about that. I, I love that. Yeah, it is, it. it is. It is so exciting to watch. Um, yeah. But it takes a lot of work to build a community that can grow and, and can 
uh, survive what happens on internet forums if they're not curated and they're not intentional. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they don't survive because uh, you need to have very, a very specific um, community, right? It can't be for everybody. It needs to be for your core demographic. Um, and it needs to be positioned in a way that it's very positive and supportive and encouraging. Um, and that has to be very intentional and out there, out front, saying that this is who we are um, with rules that if you're not that, this is not community, the community for you, right? There's other places in, on the internet for you to go be negative and bash people. Um, if you want to be here and encourage and help one another grow, then you're in the right place. And, wow. and that takes a lot I need of- to, I need to pay for some consulting hours <laughs> with you. I'm happy to talk to you about <laughs> it. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it because I'm really excited about what has happened with the Entree Architect community on Facebook and has, has grown into the community membership. Um, it is, it is exciting to watch, uh, it evolve bet. and continue to grow. And so I'm happy to, to, to talk to you about that. Um, Keith, before we wrap things up, um, I definitely want to have you come back as this evolves and grows. That'd be awesome. Um, and I'm like, I just mentioned, I'm happy to, to talk about anything, you know, that I can help contribute to it. I think it's a great idea. Uh, I think it's a needed idea. And, uh, and it sounds like, you know, it's moving in the right direction. Um, before we, we wrap up, I want to ask you that one question that I ask everybody. Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? What do you think is that, that one thing that they should focus on sort of something that they can do today to see some long-term results? Practice not being stale. If uh, it's one of the things, you know, maybe it's easier to discern because I said I was graduated in 93. I'm in my 50s. One of the things I've seen kill more businesses is not being able to change. And the, you know, COVID changed us, whether yes. we liked it or not. And I think one of the, the things that's amazing about being a human being is we have the ability to change. And if, if I've kind of, if I can look back over the things that I have done in my life, that is the one thing is I don't even know where I got the capacity. It's just like stupid kid or something. I didn't mind upending my life for something I thought was a good idea. And many of my ideas have failed but I've been around a lot of people who have great ideas and they never do a thing about them. They just sit there and talk about them for years and years and years. And they never take a risk of offending friends, upsetting the balance of what they think is currently working to try something that has potential to be even better. And so I would say practice not being stale today. Because when you have a really good idea, if you're practiced in it, you'll be ready to take the risk. And maybe a side note to that is be around people who aren't trying to be stale. Foster relationships with people who aren't stale, who are not just riding the design waves of the 60s, the design waves of the 80s. You know, they're trying new things. That's what I love to be. I love to be around artists because artists are always creating something fresh. And that's key. If I 
I've read a few di- uh, business books, just a few, because it just breaks my brain sometimes. But that's the one I hear the most. Take a risk. Take a risk. COVID taught us risks are possible. They make changes and we all survived it. It wasn't fun, but look what we have now because it forced the risk on us. So let's just keep doing it. Who knows what might happen? His name is Keith Brooks. You can learn more about Sloped and and everything they're doing there. I encourage you to go. Sloped.io is the website. Um, They are on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can go find them there. We'll have links to all of this, to Sloped and Instagram and LinkedIn uh, on the show notes. So just go to the show notes for this episode and it will all be there. Keith, I appreciate you for the work that you're doing. For Thank you. finding that there is a problem and going to seek a solution. And I appreciate very much the approach that you've taken where you've uh, had this idea and you reached out to your community and said, hey, I have this this problem and I'm thinking I might have a way to solve this problem. What do you think? And had a meeting and that has grown into a larger community and a business and a solution to solve some of the problems that your community had. Um, It's inspiring to hear your story, to hear where you've come from and to to watch what you're building. Um, And so I appreciate you for coming by here and telling that story and for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. I appreciate that. That's uh, very kind words. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT and FreshBooks for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us. And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. And I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.